Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we learn about a Bible topic, character, or concept. And today we're learning about fear and love as we study the sermon, The Fear of Babylon. My name is Christopher, and ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat today because we have with us a very, very common guest, but not uh, common in that, like... I appreciate, not... <laughs> being called, I appreciate being called common, Christopher. What, what's, what's a better... Um, frequent. A frequent host of the podcast. There's an owl called the Common Barn Owl. <laughs> now, I'm actually not sure if it's called the Common Barn Owl. But it sounded right, so I'm going to say that that's um, it's a compliment, Christopher, because owls are considered wise. Oh yes, the common barn owl uh, hunts for mice, yeah. and I imagine you have to be pretty clever mm. to hunt for mice. Yeah, because they're quite skittery. Yep, yep. So uh, thank you for the compliment. Well, that's all right. It's really just a spiritual gift of mine, so I'm glad that I was <laughs> able to use it today. Well. Look, we have a really good and a very interesting podcast for you today. We're going to be looking at a sermon called The Fear of Babylon, as you might have heard. And it's all about how we serve God and what is the right attitude to serve God out of fear or out of love. And looking at, are there some areas where we serve God more out of fear? But anyway, I don't want to get, I uh, don't want to spoil too much because we're about to get right into our recap. Just before we do, though, if you want to listen to the full sermon and you want to know all of the the big picture of what we're going to talk about go to the link below and watch the sermon the fear of babylon and come back here later because this podcast will be full of spoilers now with that out of the way let's get into our quick recap so the sermon begins by looking at the church of pergamos in revelation chapter 2 and the notable thing about this church is that they are slowly compromising on their beliefs. But for many people in our church, compromise doesn't appear to be a big issue. We're very firm in our faith, we have our fundamental beliefs, and we don't stray from them. But have we gone so far and become so afraid of not compromising our faith that we have become the loveless church? The sermon tries to follow the idea that, for example, a lot of the time in our evangelism, we don't often give the proper reason for why we worship God. I give a personal testimony where I talk about witnessing to someone regarding why I'm a vegetarian. And I went through all of the different health laws and explained why God's law is to be kept. And by the end of it, I hadn't really told the person why. I hadn't told them that it was because it was a way for me to love God and a way to worship Him. And this kind of mentality was then compared with that of the Pharisees. They treated God's law, the Torah, as a barrier from breaking the commandments. But then they created their own human traditions called the mitzvah, which acted as another wall or fence to stop them from even breaking the Torah. 
And all throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus fought against these human laws and traditions that were made up. Because what they were doing was making making people serve God out of fear and not out of love. Even as early as pioneers such as James White in the Adventist church, the focus was always on the law and a fear of breaking the law as opposed to serving God out of love. And it is then proposed that maybe some of us today treat some of the writings of Ellen White like the Jews treated the mitzvah. Sometimes we can treat Ellen White's writings as a fence to stop us from breaking the laws of the Bible as opposed to a way to connect deeper with God and enter a loving relationship with him. What does Jesus really want? In John 14, 15, we read that if we love him, we will obey his commandments. And not only that, but we're told that there is no fear in love. And therefore, if we are serving God out of a fear of not wanting to compromise, we are not able to serve him out of love. We are always to stand true to our faith and be vigilant, but not if it means serving God out of a fear of judgment rather than out of a love of what he has done for us. So, hold fast to the truth. Don't serve God out of fear. Serve God out of love. All right, well, let's get into personal takeaways. What did you get out of this sermon, Mitchell? This was a good sermon for, I think, reflection. Because, um, well, so to start off with, the way you brought the topic up, I think it was effective because it, you know, you talked about, oh, the compromising church, and you're like, <laughs> you know, I've got my Bible, I've got my Ten Commandments, <laughs> I, I follow them daily. You know, mm-hmm. I do do my good stuff. Um, but then you, you, you say that and you're like, yeah, that's good. But there's a problem when you are too rigid. Um, not that you shouldn't, you know, I think we should have rigid faith. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But the way you bring it up is like, you know, maybe you're focusing too much on not compromising. Um, and you're not seeing the fact that you've got to know why you don't compromise or, or know why you don't compromise from the things that, yeah. that you're following. Right? Yeah. You lose the why. Um, and so that was that, I don't know, that made me think about it. And to be honest, I'm still in the process of thinking about it. Like mm. it's, it's still something that I'm learning. Sure. Um, but it's, yeah, it makes you think about well, why do I do certain things in my life? It, what's the reason behind it? Mm. Um, and then, and then that question makes you think about how do I share this? Yeah. Like, what am I actually sharing? Yeah. Um, and why do these people, why, why would people want to hear it? Why would people want to practice it? Mm. Um, <coughs> and the nice thing about that is if I can understand really why I want to share it. And if, as you said in the sermon, if, if that's because of the love yeah. that drives us to follow it, um, then not only is that good for people who I'm sharing it with, because mm-hmm. they'll, you know, they'll actually get a good news message instead of a do this message. Um, it's actually good for me too, because like I'll get to have a better faith and a better walk with God and actually reap the benefits of it yeah. more than I do currently. So nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to ask quick, two quick questions. Were you there uh, at the McDonald's that time? I don't during the story. I don't think so because 
I wouldn't have ordered a McDonald's burger <laughs> and, and had the meat taken out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then my second question would be then, um, have you found yourself in a similar situation that I did there where you were given the opportunity to share your faith and you kind of missed that chance to give the proper reason for why? Constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, for me, it's slightly different. Like, I'm, I'm not actually as well-versed on biblical stuff as you and some of my other friends are. I, but, but what I do is when I'm asked a question or when I, when often it's actually not when I'm asked something Mm. often it's like, no one's even inviting me to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Someone just brings up something, you know, like someone will say, uh, what what do they say? Man, I should do more exercise. And then I'll just go into a rant, not, not like, not a rant. It's like in my mind, I'm being really helpful. Yeah. But I'll just start talking about how, you know, this is the right way to exercise. And, yeah, yeah. You know, this, these are the benefits of exercise. And these yeah, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I get to the, I get like halfway through talking and, and this like, this internal face palm happens <laughs> and I'm like, they don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't blame them for not caring because I'm yeah. just talking at them. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, I'm not actually answering a question they've asked. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not helping them. Mm. I'm helping myself and I'm building myself up. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I tell myself I'm helping them while I'm talking, but really it's, it, it's comes from, and this is just me personally, sure, like, this yeah. isn't everyone. It comes from a place to just like wanting to show someone that I know stuff basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's a recurring thing in my life. <laughs> I'm just thinking back in my memories that all the times you said, hey, Christopher, guess what? And then I'm like, what? Did you know that? And I'm in the blank. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, cool. Yeah. But, but sorry, yeah. There have been times where I've had enough, not, not self-control. I think God's just sort of, you know, all right, I'll put it this way. You know, you're like a, in a rodeo. Mm-hmm. Where you have, there's a bull in a fence, in a gate. Yeah. Now I have never been to a rodeo, so I don't know why I've used this as an analogy. <laughs> anyway, there's a bull in the gate. Yes. And it's like raging and it's ready to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And it's like banging at the gate. And it's like, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Right. Usually what happens with me is the gate swings open and the bull goes out and runs into people. Right. And that, that's not good for anyone <laughs> because the bull hurts his head and the people get hurt. And the audience is like, man, I paid money for this. <laughs> and slightly dis- disappointing because it's just people getting hurt. What happens, what, what sometimes happens is before the gate swings open, um, a little, uh, not, not, not a little bull. I don't know. Something taps me on the shoulder. It's good. <laughs> and he's like, do you really, do you really think this is going to help? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should just, you know, listen a bit more. And, mm. and then I actually say, all right, I will listen this time. And it's usually a lot better when mm. I listen. And I'll tell you what, as I said, the the follow-up to the original story where I prayed to God and I said, God, I want another chance of doing the food thing again. That only happened to me this year. And that was like maybe, I don't know, two or three years after the fact of that event. And it took me a long time to actually think and process that. Um, and even now I'm still working through that because... It's just the mindset, I, you know, that I've kind of cultivated in my brain. Somebody asks a question, I go, let me give you 20 proof texts, you know, <laughs> because it's just what I'm used to. Yeah. And so it's kind of, 
been deprogramming it. It's not that proof texts aren't good and it's not that showing, you know, the, you know, the reasons why it's good and why you should do it on a biblical basis. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But also if you, if you're not connecting with them on an emotional level either, you can't expect for them to have an emotional response. Yeah. And if we're being honest, really what we want to do is bring people into a relationship with God, not a knowledge of God. Yeah. There's a big difference there. You know, we're told Satan and his angels know that there is a God, but it doesn't do them any good, you know, because yeah. there's no connection there. It has to be on a relational level. So explaining things to people on a relational level, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, mm. is more important than giving them a, a list of rules and reasons, because... Again, the rules and the reasons are good, but you have to tell me why that makes sense on a relational level. If God gives you these rules because he loves you and wants what's best for you, you know? But how often do you hear that? Mm. Most people just say, well, it's in the law. You know, why do I have to follow the law? What's the why? You're missing the why. Mm. It's because of love, you know? So it's really getting down deeper. There's a deeper. There's always a deeper reason to the why. And yeah, it, it, I, I encourage... Uh, our listeners, if you recognize that's something that you struggle with, that often you just jump ahead, you know, you let the bull out of the gate or whatever it is, you know, um, it takes time. And I think Mitchell and I have both attested to that, that we're still learning and still growing in that area of connecting with people more relationally and bringing them into that relationship with God rather than a knowledge mm. of him. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's get into the main meat of the podcast the cutting room floor, uh, Michael Mitchell. What is the cutting room floor? Uh, the cutting room floor is the segment where we. Sorry, I was. What I was doing. Let me just. You were trying to rewind that, weren't you? Let me just take some time to discuss. Anyway, the, the ball in my brain. It was bouncing around, and I was like, "All right, let's get you settled down, and then we'll talk about it. the cutting room floor, which is." The segment where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product, and we break them down. Whoa! All right. Well, some sort of sermon chemistry. Chemistry. <laughs> well, let's get into uh, the Church of Pergamos, which I teased and then didn't really. <laughs> I, it, it came back, but not in the way that people expected. Yep. And so I kind of wanted to talk a bit more about Pergamos to give you a bit more. Uh, Get you what you paid for. What you thought you were—you <laughs> <laughs> thought you were getting a church on Pergamos, and then I, I tricked you. So I want to talk a bit about that. What's interesting is uh, this is one of the seven churches in the beginning of the Book of Revelation, and uh, biblical scholars, kind of uh, on a broad scale, will all agree that each of these churches represent different periods in Christian history. Um, they are addressed to churches, you know, in the current time that John was writing this book. But also, you know, it's prophetic. They indicate different periods in church history. So, for example, the Loveless Church uh, is usually identified up to about 100 AD. Then you have the church in Smyrna, which is about 100 to 313 AD. They're the persecuted church. And the Christians got it really rough during this period. Um, they had... There were... Th Prior to this, you know, you hear about Nero and, you know, he fed people to the lions and he would burn people covered in wax, like terrible atrocities, right? But they were generally very localized persecutions. Uh, it's not until you get to the later years where you have empire-wide, like the whole nation of Rome is like 
yeah, let's let's get these guys. So you have Decian, Valerian, Diocletian. They're the big three guys who persecute the Christians. And so they go, the first two guys, you, Decian and Valerian, they really just try and uh, attack the church leaders in hopes that once they take the leaders, you know, the people will scatter. But Diocletian, man, he was he was rough. He burnt down churches. He stole church land. He made Christians, uh, you know, offer offerings or incense. And if you didn't see her, you're gone. <laughs> if you did, you got a little certificate saying, I'm not a Christian. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. Wow. And so people made forgeries of the I'm not a Christian certificate. <laughs> so are you a Christian? Do you have your certificate? Ah, uh, yes, it is here. <laughs> Why is the ink still wet? Ah, it is dry. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you look like a 47-year-old man? <laughs> <laughs> it is authentic, yes. <laughs> um, and they got it really rough. And what's interesting is Diocletian, I think it was his wife, um, was actually a Christian. If not his wife, I know for a fact a lot of his advisors were Christians. And so he was quite sympathetic towards them. And then eventually he was like, ah, these people are um, too much of a hassle. And they're also... Um, they're putting paganism out of business, you know, what's going to happen to all of my, my coppersmiths and people making my idols if no one wants <laughs> to follow my pagan religions. Um, and then this guy, Galerius, one of the guys who really pushed the Diocletian persecution, he issues an edict of tolerance in 311 AD. And you're like, where'd this come from? And he's like, yeah, you Christians can worship now. I'm like, what was that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why did you bother? Uh, now here's what I want to ask. In this time of persecution, what do you think happened to the Christian people? Well, I mean, logic would say they'd diminish in number and they'd probably leave the city and, mm. you know, get out of there, go to, like, Europe, somewhere else. What do you think happened to the faith of them, their, like, spiritual lives? That's a good question. I guess, I guess it'd be like a filter, wouldn't it? Like, it'd be a filter to sort of remove, to either leave those with really strong faith mm -hmm. or remove the ones that had weak faith, I guess. I think that's a pretty good description because sometimes I think people generalize too much and they go, persecution always makes the church grow. And like it has shown that a lot of the times the church does grow. But sometimes like in these persecutions, the church kind of like died out because as I just said, you know, people made forgery certificates because they're like, <laughs> ah, yes, me am not Christian. Yeah, that's true. Because I guess like the people that made forgery certificates are like, they're trying not they're trying to keep their Christianity, yeah. but also they're like throwing their faith out the window. They are. And here, uh, in the Decian persecution, one of the, the Bishop of Carthage, Cyprian, he comes back after the persecutions over. He, he ran, he was like, see ya. And then he comes back, <laughs> <See ya. laughs> he comes back and he goes, what happened to my church? He goes, oh. you guys are garbage. <laughs> um, and it was this big debate. What do we do with, they called them lapsed Christians. He goes, do we even let them in the church anymore? Can they participate in communion? And Cyprian was a bit harsh. He's like, you have to do 12 years of penance before you oh, come into my church, man. Far out. But it was a big enough issue that it went to the bishops of Rome. It went everywhere. This was not just localized. This was because it was an empire-wide problem. Mm. Christianity on a large scale had this problem where they just kind of adopted the practices of the world in order to blend in. And they became very lazy Christians because it was easier to just practice your faith lazily, you know, mm. than be outspoken about it. So this kind of actually introduces the idea of compromise before we even get to Smyrna. Um, oh, sorry, to Pergamos. Oh, and of course, during this time, Constantine, he becomes a Christian, he converts, 
and he just ruins everything basically <laughs> he just so from 313 to 358 313 is when constantine gives a, the edict of milan another thing where christians can worship freely it's a weird time in church history because before this they've been persecuted by the state and now the state is christian you know so mm. they're trying to figure out how to do these state relations. And Constantine's like, I fund churches and bishops. You can have the, the same um, judicial power as a judge. And well, things just get really messy really quickly. Um, you get what I love is um, where <laughs> Constantine's like, we need some statues of saints, you know, and. Like, well, we have one of, like, Zeus over here. He's like, just slap Peter on it. It's Peter now. <laughs> and that's why... That's all... interesting. Wasn't Peter... Oh, was it Peter or Paul? I think it was Paul. No, no, no. It was... Oh, I can't remember. Which there's story? A, there's a story where the two of the disciples walk into a town and they heal someone and then the town's like, hey, it's yeah, Zeus and Hermes. That's Paul and Barnabas, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're like, no, guys, stop it. <laughs> but what I love is, I'm like, we're not gods. I go... Oh, well, we'll just kill you then. Like, guys, <laughs> calm down. Everyone calm down. You know? <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and so, yeah, um, this is what really leads to Christianity kind of getting watered down a bit. It kind of becomes just a uh, vassal. Not a vassal, but it just becomes a weaker version of itself because it's become watered down by the state, really. And, mm. you know, when you tell everyone in a country, we're all Christian now, it's not going to work. It just doesn't work. Um, but we also shouldn't forget, as you said, if there's a filter, right? So there are still a lot of devout Christians during this time. Like we have a lot of councils that take place in this time and there are a lot of heretics, mm. but there are also a lot of people who sincerely wanted to fight for the Christian faith. So yep. it's a very interesting time, uh, in the church history, but now I kind of want to take it to our time today. So we've seen how the church, the, the early church kind of begins to compromise and how it reflects this idea of Pergamos. Let's bring it today to our church. I think we can see some areas, maybe not necessarily in the Adventist church, but in Christianity in general, where we're seeing some compromise in areas. What do you think are some areas that we see the modern church compromising in? Hmm. Well, here we go. I'll give an example, actually, to start it off. Um, I think one is, one really notable one is our view of creation, for example. Um, we're kind of struggling to combat the, the evolutionary theory, you know, which is getting really popular. Um, and we have pretty clearly in Genesis a, you know, six-day account of creation. And yet a lot of Christians now are trying to fit in uh, evolution into Scripture and going, well, Genesis, you know, is more of just like a it's poetic language, it's a metaphor. What God really did was use evolution to create stuff, which is problematic because evolution necessitates death, you know, it's just, it's a kind of cycle of life. It necessitates death to eventually create things. But we're told in Genesis that the first time death enters the world is when Adam and Eve sin. So that doesn't really make much sense, you know, and we're told that everything is good and perfect and it doesn't really match up with uh, evolution. So you find a lot of Christians in an attempt to try and keep Christianity relevant, will compromise on something as foundational as creation. But if you compromise on that, you compromise on the Sabbath, uh, the idea of marriage, which is created at um, in the Garden of Eden. 
you get rid of the idea that God can create something from nothing, which is a really big thing, because uh, when I'm dead and dust, I really want God to be able to create something from nothing. Mm. You know, I want him to be able to resurrect me. If you couldn't do that to start off with, how's he going to do it you know, again? You know, So you actually throw out a lot of fundamental beliefs of Christianity if you compromise on creation, and yet that's one that we see a lot of people more than happy to kind of um, forget. I think another one is a lot of popular churches in trying to be very seeker-sensitive aren't really talking about sin or any of the more heavier issues. Mm. Um, uh, One of my friends at school, she asked me what the kind of preaching at our church was like, and, you know, I just told her it's very biblical. I just invited her. I said, come see for yourself. And every time I've invited someone from another church uh, to join me, They've always said like, wow, that was really, you know, biblical based and it wasn't uh, not dense, but like it was informative and really deep. You know, there was exploration of the Bible. Mm. And I just had one girl say to me, like one of my uh, one of my peers at school, I don't remember the last time someone has ever preached about sin or temptation or even mentioned the name Satan Mm. in a sermon. She goes, I've been there like three years. I've never heard that. And like, oh, that's a long time to go talking about sin. You know, yep. you have to kind of know the problem of sin in order to show the the beauty of salvation, right? Otherwise, what are you being saved from? And yep. so I think a lot of people in trying to be, well, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to tread on toes. Yep. I'm like, guys, you're missing it. Like, yeah, you talk about sin, but that's like a, a, a hop, a hop, skip and a jump to the thing you focus on, which is salvation. Otherwise, salvation loses its impact. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I guess... I guess it's like they're, they're avoiding an issue because it's going to be considered sensitive to a lot of people. Yeah, that's because it. once you say, once you start talking about sin, you've got to start like actually talking about what things are sin. You got to point it out in a yeah, way, yeah. you know. And once you do that, I mean, in my mind, mm. the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, but I don't want to offend people because yeah. if I offend people, I'll lose friends. People will stop listening to me. Yeah, people will hate me, and so I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I guess, I guess the thing because the thing you said. Seeker, what was it? Seeker oriented? Seeker sensitive. Seeker sensitive, right? If you want to be truly seeker sensitive, you've got to meet people where they're at, right? Mm, mm. And where we are at, where I am at, where no, like literally every church leader, every good Christian, every human that's ever lived except for one, mm. where every single one of them is at right now, or, mm. you know, we're at, is sin. Yep. That's, that's it. it. That's where we're at. Yep. So like, you know. I think I think, and it would be it would be, I guess, a relief to talk about where I'm actually at, not hide myself from the people around me. Mm. So yeah, anyway, that's it's a good point. Something. And it's interesting though, isn't it, as well, that what we're what we're really trying to say is that in order to properly reach people, you need to reach them emotionally, right? But if you're not talking about the sins in their life, how are you ever going to reach them on a personal level, on an emotional level, yeah. where they go? That's me. Yeah. And, you know, you're not preaching at the front and saying, you're guilty and you're going to die and all, you know, you're not trying to make them feel guilty. You're trying to convict them. Mm. Well, not even you. You're giving the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to convict them of people of their sin. Mm. Not so that then they go home and wallow in shame, but so that they go, oh, right, I need I need a savior. I need Jesus. Yeah. And to actually eventually make them feel better. You've got to take a tiny dip before you can feel, yep. you know, the euphoria that it's being saved. Um, another way people do that is 
the prosperity gospel is very popular at the moment. A lot of the mega churches in America are prosperity based, you know, pray and God will give you the money. And I'm like, oh gosh, that's not the gospel, you know, <laughs> like you're trying to appeal to people again, but not in the correct way that we don't see that preaching anywhere in the Bible. You can take quotes out of context, uh, but it just doesn't really work. It's not the gospel. And so people are compromising there. And it like, it like teaches us that money's important. Yeah, what like, is that? Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? Why why would God care about money? It's a it's a human creation, right? Money's mm. money's a very human thing. What's he got to do with money? He doesn't care. He when he came to earth, he like didn't even have a house, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it's it's um it just runs contrary, right, to the idea of storing up treasures in heaven, isn't it? It's a it's a gospel that preaches treasure now and I won't say his name, but there's a very famous prosperity preacher. And his book is titled Your Best Life Now. And I've had so many people rip into him and just go, what do you think heaven is? He goes, the best <laughs> life is later. He goes, this life is rubbish, you know? Although, although on that, on that, I will say, yeah, obviously the life now isn't good. And like, yeah. we're going to face a lot of struggles and trials and we do already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say from personal experience, knowing God oh, and, yeah. and that relationship with God is like, it's a little bit of heaven on earth. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like so, maybe maybe the surroundings and you know I haven't faced many trials in my life, so mm. I'll speak again later when I have. Um, but you know there is there is a little bit of heaven on earth, but the idea is that it draws us towards the real, mm, mm. you know, where we get to live with him forever, not oh he'll give us stuff now and we can. Well, that's yeah. true because yeah, Jesus says a lot in his ministry, like hey, the kingdom of heaven is here, and you're like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) now where is it he's like no 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 don't you get it it's in you guys like because you're ambassadors for it wherever you go that's where the kingdom of god goes it's not a nation defined by borders it's a group of people that go everywhere just like the church is here so yeah that's a good point i don't think that author was thinking of it that way though (laughs) but but i'm glad that you're able to bring that out of it because it's very true um the other thing i just want to quickly touch on is that uh, the actual church that we fit into in like the period of history. So, if, you know, Pergamos is about 300 to 500 AD. Our time period that we fit into in the seven churches is the church of Laodicea. And that is the, the lukewarm church. And I encourage our readers, we didn't have time, but go to Revelation 3 verses 14 to 22. That's the uh, Laodicean church. Read it and realize how relevant it is to us. It is crazy relevant to us. You, you read it and you go, whoa, that is definitely us. Mm. So go over read of it. I think it's interesting <laughs> whether Christians are getting persecuted or not. Like there's just, it's just laziness. There's always going to be lazy Christians because yeah. <laughs> it's just in the human nature to be lazy, isn't it? And the cool thing about the, that section of Revelation is, and the sermon is like, we can't, we have to, we, I think I got in the, on the, in the habit of looking at a church as an organization. Mm. And so you put this label on an organization, you're the Laodicean church, you know, but really what you, what you need to do when you're looking at these texts is say, all right, a church is composed of what? Well, it's composed of people. Mm. Therefore the people and the attitudes and the behaviors and the beliefs of those people is what makes the church what it is. Yeah. So calling the church Laodicean, you're actually also calling yourself or yeah. me or Christopher as mm. the members later sin. So 
Yeah, I understand it that way. It's a personal message, but it's just being put at a church because it describes a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So, speaking of um, moving, shifting gears now, I've talked a bit about compromise, and so now I want to kind of talk more about the motive of love again. And um, it, I think it's interesting that in our churches, we struggle a lot with love. Um, in most NCD scores that I've been privy to, struggle uh, most churches struggle with loving relationships sorry i should say ncd uh for those who don't know is the national church development survey natural church development survey anyway it's a survey which uh sees how your church is doing spiritually most churches struggle with loving relationships um i don't know why do you think that is that we struggle in that area in particular with love in our church it's a good question. I guess I'll I'll answer that by talking about me. Why why do I and why did I mm. struggle with the love aspect? Um, f- well, for, so for me personally, my my focus in being a Christian was what can this say about me? You know, what does my behaviour say about me? What does being a Christian say about me? Da 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 da. Right. Mm. So when I didn't kill people. <laughs> I, I haven't killed anyone, by the way. A, a plus <laughs> Christian. <laughs> um, when I didn't kill people, it wasn't so much because I loved the people I wasn't killing. It was because, oh, if I don't kill people, then I'm a good person, <laughs> right? So the focus is, is so selfish. Mm. It's funny. You can follow the Ten Commandments and be selfish. And that's how I did it. I, I was so selfish in my focus. It was like, well, what does my following of God say about me? Hmm. Um, and maybe that's what the church is doing. Maybe it's so focused on becoming good, becoming better, becoming proud, um, that it forgets why we follow these things. And the idea is so you can share God. So you can actually, you know, speak to your neighbor, you know, you can go and help them dig their garden up or, or go and, you know, look after the kids while they're in the hospital with their wife, you know, um, there's there's a lot that's missing and I think it all comes down to selfishness and I think that's well I mean that's for me that's that's my message for myself um, and maybe that applies to the church too I think you really hit the nail on the head there and that pride really does not allow for love to coexist with it does it no if you're so full of yourself you're not thinking about others and that's really the definition of love is putting others before yourself so pride mm. and love really can't coexist so i think that's a really like i think um, perfect way of thinking about it i had some other ideas uh, that i wrote down i think uh, there's a lack of trust between church members a lot of the time mm. and i think be- part of that comes from a fear of being judged i think Sometimes that might be because of our pride we're afraid of being judged, but sometimes it's because we're afraid of being judged by those who are proud and look down on others. Yeah, true. So, because, you know, I think it's unfortunate that people think that church is a place where you have to be perfect at. Mm. And I'm like, that's the exact opposite. Like, this is the place where, you know, you should be the most willing to be vulnerable Mm. anywhere. This should be the place where everyone gives each other high fives for being sucky people, you know, because you're the fact that you know that you are sinful and fallen 
should be a good thing because again, it points you towards God mm. and you, uh, you know, obviously you're not high-fiving because you're like, yeah, let's keep sitting. But you, you know <laughs> what I mean? You know what I mean? Right? Like yeah. you're all on this journey together. The church is there to help one another yeah. on their spiritual journey. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there just seems to be a lack of that. I think as well, we don't have as much of an opportunity to meet with each other during the week. Uh, so there isn't a lot of time to build on those relationships of trust. Mm. Um, I think uh, on that on that note, yeah, yeah. You think back to the church in Acts, like far out. They were excited to meet during the week. Mm-hmm. Like you, I think about the church in Acts, like I think about you know when you're a teenager and you have got a group of friends, like mm-hmm. really good friends. Yes, and like you want to hang out with them, and yeah. you know you don't have a license right there. You're right, yeah. So you're, you're <laughs> nagging your you're nagging your parents all the time. Hey, hey, can you drive me over to so and so's place? Or, yeah. or in my case, Shanaking Michael. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, oh, M- Michael, by the way, is a, a, a bit of a lad. Um, <laughs> he drives a car and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good description. He's pretty useful. Um, he's also a, a co-host of the, uh, After Seven Podcast. After Seven Podcast. That's it. Far out. <laughs> Sponsorship deals. <laughs> um, he's not getting a dime out of these. <laughs> Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Teenagers. The church in Acts. Mm. Teenagers. I think of it like that. It's just like they were genuinely excited to spend time together. Yeah. So, you know, today we're like, oh, you know, I really should go and spend some time with my neighbor. Back then it was like, hey, is there, is there like a few, is there like a spare 10 minutes? Yeah. That I can yeah, go over yeah. and hang out with them for a bit? Wouldn't that be mm. great? Like that's, I think that's, that's the difference. Yeah, I, I think we. I wonder why we've lost that I, that kind of mentality. Hey, I think it, part of it's probably because our society doesn't really cultivate a very communal type of living. Mm. It's very individualistic, and so it's like, yeah, you know, I don't really talk to even my neighbours. You know, the people <laughs> who live next door. You're just like, yeah, you know. So I, I like the teenager analogy, though. Like, I, I really like that. It's really true. Like, I just want to hang out with them. You know? <laughs> That's so true, though, and like if you think about it, that's when you really connect. That church, the church isn't really your time to connect with other people. That's your time to connect with God, to be honest. And I say that not only because God's the focus, but also like there's not much time. Like mm-hmm. you go, if you you know, attend one of our churches, you'll go to Sabbath school, and then there's like you know a ten fifteen minute window as everyone gets ready for the main service, and yep. then after the main service, you know you might have a lunch, and that's a good opportunity. But otherwise, people just kind of go home. Mm. Uh, there's not really that much time to learn about other people. Um, so yeah, you have to kind of make the time during the week. And I think as well, people's lives are probably a lot busier. And so people are just like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have time. Um, and in some cases, rightfully so, you know, but it's still disappointing that we've lost um, that communicating with each other during the week, I think. Mm. Um, you mentioned something really interesting that I, uh, I wanted to touch on before. Uh, murdering people. (laughs) And, um... Oh my goodness. (laughs) And, uh... You said, like, I'm a good human being because I haven't killed anyone, right? That's partially true. (laughs) What? You haven't killed anyone, but that doesn't make you a good human being, I would say. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. And here's the, I figured this out earlier on this year. I was thinking about like what love, you know, Christian love really is. And I realized that a lot of the time I justified 
my actions by saying, well, I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't say mean things. So I'm not a bad person. Mm. You're like, okay, well, that doesn't make you a good person either. It just makes you like a, a bare minimum decent <laughs> human being. Yes, you can exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you don't do bad things. <laughs> you know, there's nothing there. And then I thought to myself, Christian love is actively going out and doing good things for other people. Mm. That's what being a good person is. I use good person knowing that there is none good, no, not even one. But you know what I mean? Mm. To be a good person is to actively do good things. It's not the absence of doing wrong things. Yeah. It's such a... Saying I don't do wrong things is such a cop-out. It's (laughs) such a cop-out. And like, I, you know, again, I, I still do that sometimes. I think it's a track everyone falls into. Well, I'm not. <laughs> but isn't that the attitude of the Pharisees? God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. You know, I don't do bad things. I'm like, you're still not a good person. I like. There's a there's a piano across the room from here. Um, and to explain why I brought up such an unusual and oh. irrelevant topic. Okay. Imagine it like this. Christopher has a cat. Yes. Um, shall I share the name of your cat or no? Yeah, you can share it. I, don't, I think I won't because this cat has a social media and uh, <laughs> I don't want you viewers uh, stalking Christopher's cat. Well, at the, at the risk, at the risk, <laughs> at the potential risk of completely tanking this segment, <laughs> um, it is with regret that I mentioned <laughs> Louis is not alive anymore. <laughs> Serious? Yeah. We're going to cut this. We'll cut this part out. <laughs> I'm just trying to break it as, as um, kindly as possible. Sorry, so, dude. We'll say Christopher has a dog because I have no emotional I'll attachment. I, I to have dogs. a dog. Mitchell has a dog. <laughs> all right. I'm going to start. Wait, where can we cut it from? Sorry. <laughs> That's all good. Um, just start from the piano. All right. I don't know what the piano was. I don't know where you're going with the piano. <laughs> so start with the piano. So anyway, there's a piano. And mm-hmm. I have I have two little dogs at home. They're Cocker Spaniels. And I'll put the analogy this way. Mm. If you put those Cocker Spaniels in the piano. <laughs> okay. And, and you know, you were thinking to yourself, man, if I was to go and play that piano now, <gasps> it wouldn't make any sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bark. Which doesn't, that's not really what they're designed to do. <laughs> um, it might bark. It's not very good, right? So it's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Let's say I was to say to you, all right, I'm going to fix this situation. I'm going to take the dogs out of the piano. Okay. Now, when I play it, it won't make any bad noises. That's true. Um, but then you don't go and play the piano. Mm. What's the point? Or let's say you play it very poorly. Yeah. Well, what, what, it's, yeah. it's still not a good, it's still, you're still not a good piano player. Yep. Like, well, the piano doesn't have dogs in it anymore. Like, well, what's the point? You know, if you can't play it, it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah. That's a good, that's a good analogy. But yeah, I was just thinking about that, you know, like how often do you do that though? You know, I I say you not specifically, but just us, you know, like, well, at least I don't do this. And I think this is the biggest flaw of a lot of people. You'll find this is a common belief. A lot of people will teach that. Christians can reach a state of perfection. But when you ask them, it's always, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't do all these things. But that's not really, I'd say, what being a perfect Christian is. It's not the absence of wrong, it's doing good things. Mm. Um, 
okay, and let's take the Ten Commandments, you know. People go, thou shalt not, you know. You shall not do this, you shall not do that. Mm. Okay. I'll come back to the Ten Commandments. Let's just say that. Let's just stick with this for now. Do you think that, let's just say, you know, God's law is this, this eternal thing, right? Would it make sense for God to go up to a sinless angel in heaven? Like, hey, Gabriel. Yeah, God. Don't lie. <laughs> Would it make any sense for him to say that to Gabriel? That's a good point. Not really. Cause Gabriel, like, Gabriel's like, I wasn't going to. Man. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. I wasn't. You Take know. that box off for today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, don't, don't steal. I wasn't going to. It doesn't make sense to phrase things to sinless beings in the negative. Because mm. it's like, I wasn't going to. Yeah. When it comes to humans whose nature is to do the wrong thing, God has to phrase things in, hey, don't do that, mm. because he knows that instinct is to do that thing. So I think, to really, God has kind of come down to our level and actually put his law in terms that we understand. Mm. But I think, you know, if there, are these, if there were to be these big stone tablets in heaven, they wouldn't say, you shall not. I think they would be phrased in the positive, you will, because mm. that's what the really loving things is. Mm. Uh, and in fact, if you go to the Ten Commandments, we translate them as thou shalt not. That's uh, what you would call an imperative tone. It's a command. But in its original Hebrew, it's actually in an imperfect, which is just a verb. Uh, it's an incompleted action. Mm. So it's a more proper translation would be you will do these things, which is more positively phrased, isn't it? Mm. You will not steal. Um, mm, and the reason, truth. and the reason is God gives it in verse, the very first verse before he begins the Ten Commandments, he says, I brought you out of Egypt. Therefore you will have no other gods before me. That's a great point. I, I like that. I like that way of saying it is like, you will not steal, right? Mm. Because there's no word that means don't steal. Yeah. 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 That word would be decent human being, right? That's exactly it. It's like, you will be a decent human being. And then humans are like, what does that mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, a, that's I love that way of putting it. It's like, you will not steal. You will not kill. Yes. Like, that's great. It's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah. And I love that the emphasis is on, because again, God's like, I know you guys want to do all these things. <laughs> the reason you will not is because of what I've already done for you. As a response to me saving you, here's what I'll do for you. Yeah. And it, come, it comes back to this idea, God says all throughout, you know, the covenants, uh, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Yeah, and yeah. you will be holy because I am holy. Those two kind of work together. Uh, you'll be my people and you'll be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. Mm. You will not steal. Why? Because of what I've done for you. Because I don't, you know. So doing things out of love is not doing the bare minimum. Mm. It's actively doing good, which I think is a really big distinction to make. Mm. And so then as we conclude and we wrap up our podcast, the final topic I want to talk about is how should we read Ellen White then? I, I, I mentioned her in the podcast. And for those who don't know, um, who might not be familiar, Ellen White was one of the really core pioneers of the Adventist church in its beginnings. And she wrote a lot of influential writings uh, that people still read today and does still guide our church. They're very good and uh, important uh, writings, I believe. But too often people think of them as like a checklist of things to do, mm. you know? And I think that's problematic because, again, you're phrasing it, you're putting it into the do not category as opposed to the you will. Mm. That's really what people can do. 
And I think another important thing to do is to read things in context. So a lot of people will grab, here, I, I grabbed a few examples. She says in one place, don't own a bike. What do you make of that? <laughs> <laughs> do you own a bike? I, I do own a you bike. You heathen! I'm ashamed to say it. If, if, it, if this makes me any better of a person, <laughs> I haven't ridden it for like a year. Wow. So you are a, you are a perfect Christian. I can, I can tally up a year's worth of being a good Ooh. person out of that. That's so good. I don't ride my bike. <laughs> do you Although ride? it's in my... I'll tell you the truth though. Mm. I've hidden it away in my garage. It's still there. I just haven't ridden it. You haven't burnt it yet. I haven't burnt it yet. (laughs) You need to burn it. And people will grab quotes like that. You know, you shouldn't own a bike. And I'm like, all right, let's read her in her, you know, 1800s context where bikes are super expensive. It's not a good investment. You know, like if you have to choose between feeding your kids and buying a bike, Ellen White says, don't buy the expensive bike. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they were very expensive back then. <clears throat> the same reason she says, don't own a camera. Mm. She goes, it's not a good idea for a Christian to own a camera. I, I've got one on my phone here. We both have ones on our laptops right now. Like, yeah. all, all, all condemned. No, this was back in the time where, again, cameras were relatively new, expensive, but also they're the ones where it took like half an hour to take. And so, you know, the family would have to all sit together and not move for half an hour. And, you know, that's why you see none of them smiling because they can't hold a smile for half an hour. So they're all just like yeah. pulling these ugly faces. Yeah. She's like, yeah, well, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. Don't do it. Yeah. In her context, that makes sense. Don't try and rip quotes out of context and then try and apply it to the modern day. There are good principles there. So, for example, are there things that are too expensive that waste our time and waste our money today? Mm. Yeah, of course there is. Take that principle and relate it to your life. Don't put a, an outright band on all cameras, you know? Like, mm. even now, you can go down and just get those cheap-ass cameras with, like, some film in it, right? The disposable ones, like $10, yep. just a cheap Kodak. Like, it's not a big deal anymore. And an example with cameras. So, like, I've obviously got a camera on my phone. Mm. Um and I love it. Like I, I love taking photos and I love like sending them to people so you can show them where, you know, where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on. Um, now I'm not against owning a camera, but I've learned something recently about having it and using it all the time is when you're out in nature and like, I really enjoy like good scenery, mm-hmm. like epic views, stuff like that. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. And I used to, before I started taking heaps of photos, I used to just sort of sit there and look and like, it was a really God experience. Hmm. Um, like I was just standing there or sitting there with God and he was just showing me his creation. Right. But since I've started taking photos, it's actually become a little bit of a distraction and like, not that I'm not going to take photos anymore, Mm. but I've got to the point where I've got to take the right photo and I've got to keep taking the photos until I get the right one. (laughs) And by the time I'm done, like the sunset's over. Yeah. And so I don't actually, I don't have the opportunity to sit Mm. there with God and say, man, that's a cool sunset you've given me Mm. because I'm sitting there on my phone, clicking away at the button, trying to get the right photo. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I'm not saying don't take a photo of the sunset, Uh, maybe take two or three, you know, get, get, get what you need. Have have a bit, but don't forget. And for me, don't forget to spend time with the point of nature, Mm. with the point of the thing that you're taking part in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think to, to follow that idea, uh, have you ever seen that this uh, it's one of my favorite memes ever I almost want to put it on our Facebook page now it, it's like 
uh, honey, the text says, you know, honey, I found a picture of your grandmother. And it says like, you know, 2018. And it's a picture of this, you know, it's a picture like that we see here. Um, so it's someone in 2018 finding a picture yeah. and it's in black and white and you know, they are, they don't have the smile and they look very prim and proper. <laughs> and then next to it is honey. I found a picture of your grandmother in like, you know, 2100, 2100 or whatever. And it's just, you know, this like basic looking girl with a dog Snapchat filter, <laughs> you know, and it's like, Oh my goodness, we've fallen so far. I probably didn't describe that too well, but the idea is like photos and cameras have also made us very self-centered people. Yeah. Um, people post stuff all the time. Like, and it gets to the point where sometimes I'm just like, I, I'm not invested in your life. You know, <laughs> I, I'm glad to see that you're happy and healthy, but I don't need to know every second thing you do in the day, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think both of these have been really good examples of draw out the principles that are there, you know, yep. don't read it. Like, again, if you read that out of context and you just apply no cameras to your life as a rule, yep. you're being very legalistic and uh, you're looking at the law as opposed to the principle, the why behind it. Yep. You're forgetting the why again, why did it waste the time, waste the money. There are plenty of things that we can apply to our time today. It's a waste of time. Plenty more relevant things. Yeah, exactly. Like that Ellen White didn't know we would have in the future. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So really find out what is the undergirding why principle behind that. Um, and I guarantee if you do, if you read it like that, and if you read it as something to really connect you with God, her writings will really make a difference in your spiritual journey. Cool. So, Chris. Yes. Do you have any recommended readings? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, I'm glad I asked too. You know what? I'm I just forward to, <laughs> to my recommended reading. See, yeah. I just thought, you know, did you ever have in like your textbooks as a kid any 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 time there was something to do with reading or with maths? It was always you're going to be impressed with this. It was always a picture of like a barn owl. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Did you ever have that? Because the owls were smart, it was always a picture oh, of the owl as yeah, an animal yeah, teacher. Yeah. And so he'd always wear like, you know, the little graduate cap with the, the thing coming off. And he'd often have like a little stick in his hand pointing to the maths you're about to do. <laughs> little speech yeah, before. I remember that. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's very fitting. The, here we go. So Barn Owl recommended reading of the day is uh, Ellen White's Steps to Christ. Cool. I think this is one of the the best books that she ever wrote. It's so small. It's really thin. It'll, you could, you could easily get it done in like an hour if you sat down and read it. But I would recommend reading like a chapter a day, maybe even like a chapter a week if you're reading, you know, other things. And it's a really short book too. It's really short. So it won't take too much time, but I, I, for that reason, I almost think it's more important to read it over a longer period of time. So you can gradually apply all of these spiritual disciplines that she talks about into your life and really contemplate and think and meditate on them because what she writes is so profound she puts so much profound information and so much awesome stuff into like 10 pages it's crazy and uh, uh it's it really has helped me on my spiritual journey and i'm sure thousands of other people hundreds of thousands of people can testify to the same thing so Go check out Ellen White Steps to Christ. In fact, you can get it for free if you download the E.G. White uh, app. Uh, Ella, just type in Ellen G. White app. I think there's a second one out. Maybe get that one. 
You can get all of her writings there for free, and that's where you can get Steps to Christ. So go, make sure to check that out, and I'm sure you'll get a real blessing out of it. Cool. And Chris, to end off. Yes. Where can these people find you? Well, they can find me everywhere. You can't escape me oh on goodness. the internet. Uh, <laughs> Hydra kids, Hydra. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, you can find me on the After Seven podcast here every fortnight. We try our very best. Thank you for your patience uh, with us. It's been a busy time. We're going to be uploading frequently again. You can find us on our YouTube channel, SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, we'll be there. But also make sure to check out the Mighty Warrior Ministries uh, website. We have articles put out every fortnight by Mitchell, by myself, by Kira, and all other types of hosts on the After Seven podcast. Mitchell, you have an article coming out. Oh, by the time this is released, it would have been during the week. What's your What's your article on? My article. Um, it's another. It's one that I learned from in the last six months. Oh, nice. It's sort of been the descriptor of my life in the last six months. It's not a testimony, but it kind of is. Okay. Um, anyway, it's called... Let me just think. I'm, I'm considering... No, it'll, it'll be called Be Strong and Courageous. Be Strong and Courageous. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that article, and I'm sure if you've read it, you've got a blessing out of it. If not, go check it out now. Why not? Thank you so much for supporting us, guys, and for listening in with us. That concludes today's podcast, and we hope you've been blessed as we've discussed the sermon, The Fear of Babylon. Make sure to come back in a fortnight for another episode, and with that said, have a good one, and good night.